Our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us at Sojourn as we continue on our study through the the book of Romans. As we turn there and as we prepare to hear from just the teaching of Romans 4, would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, I'm just aware of the temptation in my own heart to be like Martha and and to busy myself and even my mind and heart with, with many things. Some are good. Uh, but still to be busy and to not to choose the better portion. I just pray that you'd help us, that through Christ in us, you would help us choose a better portion today as we open your word, as we keep it open before us together. Would you help us instead sit at your feet, that we might learn and become more like your precious son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's interesting, Pastor Jay started the way he did. I was going to start that way too. Father Abraham... He had many sons, right? Do you know this? And, and many sons said, Father Abraham. If you didn't grow up in the church, it's like, I, I think it's like the Christian version of the hokey pokey. <laughs> like that's how I always thought of it. It's like you do the hokey pokey, but that doesn't have any Bible reference or anything there. But you do Father Abraham, you move like that one, but it's Bible version of it. Well, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and it's probably a little bit understandable to talk about Abraham and to have a song that, that the church has sung for, I don't know when the song was written, I don't know when it started, but it's been around for a while now. Uh, Abraham's just, he's a massive figure in the Old Testament. 
I mean, early on, like you have the garden scene where, where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and then pretty soon they fail, and then things go south really, really quickly as we have not only them failing, but then we have their children, like Cain and Abel. Here's the first children, and, and there's murder there. And then you move further, and it just goes down further quickly, and it gets awful. So, so much so that there's always evil on the earth all over the place, and, and so God sends this flood. There, there's judgment. And then you, you think, okay, God saved from that judgment Noah and his family line, but even from that, it's like you go after that, and it's like it's still a mess. You, you could see part of this at the Tower of Babel, right, where they're, they're gathering together. They're not doing what God had told them to do, to, to spread throughout the whole earth, and, and they're coming together, and they're saying, hey, we don't need God anymore. Actually, let's make a tower and show God that like, we can be all that there is that we need, right? Like, we'll, we'll just make a tower to the sky. And, and so God then comes down, because he has to descend to anything that man could build up, and, and he comes down and he, he confuses their languages. And so we've, just, we've got a mess in creation, and what does God do to start moving it in the direction for which he created it, to, to know him and to love him and to be him, to be known over all the face of his creation? Well, he calls a man named Abraham. Abram at the time, but we know him as Abraham. And so Abraham's this massive figure in the Old Testament. He, he starts to, to be the one who's going to put together the, the pieces. Like He's going to be the blessing to all the nations of the earth. He's all over the New Testament too. Paul uses him a few different times. He's in the book of Hebrews. James uses him. He's all over. So he's a massive figure. So maybe we have good warrant to sing about Father Abraham. And yet, I think that this song, Father Abraham Has Many Sons, plays a role that's probably not ours to play. I'm one of them and so are you. I'm not sure that that's our role, to affirm not only uh, our own, sometimes we need help from the Holy Spirit to testify that we are children of God, we'll get to that in Romans chapter 8, but also maybe not our role to look to others and say, I'm definitely a son of Abraham and so are you. Uh, we sang that with all sorts of people that I'm quite sure uh, are not sons of Abraham when I was growing up. And that the song gives zero basis, zero explanation. I love tearing down classic, you know, kid songs, like just <laughs> rip them apart, Right? It gives zero basis, zero explanation for why anyone would be called the son of Abraham. You just say that you are, and then you start moving body parts. <laughs> and it could easily be a song that leads to the same place that Jesus confronts in John chapter 8. You remember, he confronts some people, and they're having this argument back and forth, and they're saying to Jesus, very arrogantly, we're children of Abraham, to which he has to reply, actually, you're not. Your father is Satan not Abraham. Because it's quick for our, our sinful hearts to go in that direction and say, yeah, we'll just grab a hold of something that we can boast in and we're just going to hang on to it whether it's true or not. And it could lead us to the same place if we sing that song. So maybe we just don't sing that song for a while. But Paul helps us in Romans. He, he thoroughly lays out an argument for the need for righteousness and not just for Abraham and his offspring, but for all people. Uh, all are unrighteous and ungodly, Jews and Greeks. Paul explains then how righteousness is obtained. It is obtained through faith in Jesus. Saving righteousness is only ever received. Jew or Greek, saving righteousness, right standing before our holy God is only ever received. It is a gift of grace. And so when Paul puts that teaching down, the, the Jews especially would have had a few counter arguments in their arsenal, locked and loaded against Paul's idea that you can be justified by faith. The, the justification by faith alone, that doctrine, they, they have a few arguments locked and loaded against it. 
Which is why for Paul, it wasn't enough for him to just state clearly that you need to receive saving righteousness. He also needs to state clearly how to not receive saving righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 28, he says this, We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Not through works of the law, not through works of any kind, including what he's going to say in chapter 3, verse 30, like including circumcision. And so here's one of the arguments that would have come in after that. Well, then what about Abraham, Paul? How does Abraham fit into your doctrine of justification by faith alone? And what Paul doesn't do, he doesn't say, you know, like, forget about Abraham. That's the old covenant. That's the old testament. Let's discard him and let's just say something new. Something new is happening. He doesn't do that. He actually claims Abraham too. <laughs> They're saying, I'm a son of Abraham, and Paul is saying, I'm a son of Abraham, and you can be too, but let's figure out what that looks like and what that means. He looks to him as an example to further his argument of justification by faith alone. So the Jews, they would lay claim to Abraham as their father and hero, but Paul does too, and he, he argues that actually Abraham fits this righteousness that I've been talking about, this justification that I've been talking about, he fits it perfectly. Because he says of Abraham, he was justified by faith. That righteousness was counted to him by faith. And so that makes Abraham the father of all who have faith. So I think there's three things that Paul is supporting here. That faith alone justifies. That it's always been faith. So faith alone, faith always. And that this faith is for people all over. Faith alone, faith always, faith all over. Paul, in chapter 3, verse 27 to 28, he says, What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by, but by the law of faith. For we hold, verse 28, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And, and what he's going to do in chapter 4 in these first eight verses is he's going to build on that contention. That we are justified apart from works of the law by our faith. And he says... He puts up Abraham, and he says, not only does Abraham validate that, but he fits into that. So verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, again, building off of 3, 27 and 28, what, shall, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So the contention that he's building on is that we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. He is building on this idea we're justified by faith, not by works. If there's works that you could be justified or they contribute to your justification, your righteousness before God, then you might have something to boast about. And if that's true, and if Abraham was justified by some works, then he might have something to boast about as well. And this forefather of the Jews was a man who was a great man. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called him, he left idolatry, left Haran, his home, his family that he'd known, and he went to a place, and he didn't even know where he was going in following God. He builds altars to the Lord. He, he rescues Lot. He tithes to Melchizedek. He intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's goes up on a mountain to offer his only son Isaac. If one is justified by works, then Abraham qualifies, I think, by something in there, and he might have a boast before God. But what does Paul conclude? He has no boast before God. Now, what I don't think Paul is saying, he's not saying that Abraham could boast before people, but not before God. Although it's true 
that, again, he has no boast before God. He's not just saying it in comparison to people. Like, he couldn't before people, but, or he couldn't before God, but he came before people. He's not saying that. He says he has no boast before God because works weren't contributing here. Paul is writing and he's teaching on the relationship between justification before God, and he's trying to compare works and, and faith. And, and the conclusion, your justification before God, if it's from works, then, then you have something to boast about. And he says he doesn't have anything to boast about before God. So his conclusion is Abraham has no boast. Therefore, what does he say about Abraham? He's not justified by those works. Abraham's works Whatever we conclude or whatever we put into that works didn't justify him, didn't make him right in God's sight. And Paul appeals to the scripture to support this. In verse 3, what does the scripture say? I, I love that again, that Paul says scripture. He has certain writings in mind that he thinks are authoritative for his life. He, he speaks to the scripture and he backs this up by the scripture. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not making this stuff up. I didn't come up with this out of nowhere. He is appealing to sacred texts. He, he basically is going to say, because the Bible says so, which is something that if you trust in God, who is the author of all scripture, all of it is breathed out by God, is something that we should never pull back from. We're just saying, well, the Bible says it. Like, that's our authority, and that's what Paul does. The scripture is what he appeals to, and he says, the, the scripture says so. And, and what does the scripture say? He has no hesitation on going to God's word to support what he's saying about this gospel of God that he's been laying out in Romans. And what does the scripture say? He quotes Genesis fifteen six when he says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, by, by Genesis chapter 15, a, a lot has happened. A lot has happened just for Abraham. Again, he, he's... He's married to this woman, we find out. She's barren. They don't have any children of their own. He's an idolater. We see that late in the scripture, that he's worshiping other gods, but God calls him. He leaves his home. He, he goes to this place that God is going to show him. God promises in him in that moment when he calls him, he says, I'm going to give you land. I, I'm going to give you offspring, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And in Genesis chapter 15, when we get to that point, after Genesis chapter 12, None of those promises have been fulfilled. Not one of them. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 15 with the, the text, the scripture that Paul quotes. Listen to Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, not his own offspring. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So he thinks maybe it's going to have to be Eliezer. He, he seems in these first three verses of Genesis 15 to be wavering. He's doubting. Well, what's going on here, God? He has some doubts and he has some questions. And God responds to those in verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In verse 6, Abraham, Abram, believed the Lord... And he counted it to him as righteousness. 
goes outside, he looks up, doubt disappears, it's dissolved by the, by the grandeur of what God has put in front of his face, it, it disappears, and Abraham believes, notice what it says, he believes the Lord. He, he believed God. Not just his words, although they're tied together so closely, but he believes God. He's trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in God to be God. He's trusting in God to carry out his word. So he's not just trusting in words. He's trusting in the Lord himself. He trusts God. Now before Genesis 15, 6, where he has this belief counted to him as righteousness, again, Abraham had had some good moments. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about one of those moments. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, he even left his own home by faith going to a land that he didn't even know about? We go to Genesis chapter 15, like that, that's a long ways away from that act of faith. Genesis 15 starts out with, with wavering faith. In other words, if we're to hold up episodes of, of Abraham's faith, Genesis 15 is, is maybe not the best episode of faith that he has. But it's in Genesis chapter 15 that we have the first explicit reference in all of Scripture to faith explicitly. And in Genesis 15, what is that first explicit reference to faith tied to? Righteousness. God counted his belief. He believed his faith, and God counted it to him as righteousness. God is the subject, counts, or Maybe around here, it's perfectly good training. Reckon? He reckons it? He reckons it to him. What is it? Faith, that's the object. God is the subject. He's reckoning something, faith, to Abraham as righteousness. Those all matter. Faith was not his righteousness. Faith was counted, reckoned as his righteousness. And how is this reckoning coming Abraham doesn't do it. God is the one who reckons faith for what it's not, righteousness, right? Faith doesn't equal righteousness. God is counting faith as righteousness. That's different. God is the source of this righteousness then, not Abraham, not Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith is not the source of his righteousness. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This, this again, further argues what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 28. We hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of any kind. Faith is being asserted everywhere as the means to right standing, as the means to righteousness before God. Faith is what puts one in proper relation to God, puts one in proper relationship with, faith, with righteousness, because faith, what does it do? It looks to another. It relies on, it looks to God and his grace for righteousness. And so faith was counted. It was reckoned as righteousness. So we could even say that even faith couldn't be mistaken as meritorious. Like his faith itself didn't gain him righteousness. His faith was counted as righteousness, which seems to be a, a point that like, yes, I'm belaboring because I think that's what Paul is belaboring in Romans 3, 21, all the way down to where we're at now in Romans chapter 4. So what this does is it makes righteousness not first a matter of what one must do, including maintaining some sort of level or intensity of faith. Like, so you, you, you can come and you say, like, well, if, 
faith is counted as righteousness. Do I need to have Genesis chapter 15, Abraham level of faith in order to be counted as righteous? And, and that's not Paul's point at all. I've been helped by this illustration. Uh, this is from Tim Keller. He says, imagine you're falling off a cliff. And sticking out of the cliff is a branch that is strong enough to hold you. But you don't know how strong it is. As you fall, you have just enough time to grab the branch. How much faith do you have to have in the branch for it to save you? Must you be totally sure that it can save you? No, of course not, he says. You only have to have enough faith to grab the branch. That's because, he says, it's not the quality of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. So that Abraham can come before God and say that he doesn't have a boast because, again, it wasn't his faith, but the object of his faith that was counted to him. Not even Abraham can have a boast before God, but all who have faith can receive the same saving righteousness and rest in it because what matters isn't, again, the intensity, purity, strength of that faith, but the object of that faith. During the Reformation, it's almost Reformation Day, so I figured I'd throw this in. The Reformation, 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther nails 95 theses to a door. And that blew up in Europe. Like, it just lit up that continent. And one of the reasons was, is that during that time, the, the Roman Catholic Church, you, you, you didn't have any sense of assurance, right? There, there were what you'd call, like, you didn't know... If you were going to commit mortal sins sometime along, the, along your path in, in this life, and then even if you didn't commit some sort of mortal sin, that, like there still was out there in front of you the idea that you had to be purified in purgatory for, for a number of years before you could be received into heaven. And so there's, there's a reason that indulgences were not only being sold to kind of, you know, get you out of purgatory, but that the, they were a hot seller because that sells, doesn't it? Hey, you are going to face some purifying torment, at least a little bit of it, probably for many years. And, and even then, we're not sure if you're going to be saved. And along the way, you might commit a mortal sin. And so again, there's, there's just no assurance. And then the, in comes like Martin Luther starts to look at Romans. He says, wait a second, we are those who can receive the saving righteousness of God, not by something we do or by, but by, by having faith in Jesus. And it lit up the continent because what was going on was that you could then know by your faith in this right object that, that I don't have to worry tonight whether I'm going to go to purgatory or not. I can know that if I'm in Christ that, that I get to be with him. Like, can you imagine, isn't it precious today? We can know today, this morning, you can know. If you have faith in the, the one true living God, you can know today and you can go to sleep knowing that saving righteousness is yours by your faith. Amen. That is unbelievable. And it has nothing, zero, to do with your performance today. Not one bit. It, it has nothing to do with the strength of your faith today. Maybe it's less than yesterday. Not the point. In fact, we could say in one sense it has nothing to do with you at all. <laughs> you believe in God, you put your faith in God, it's a bit like saying, like, just forget all about yourself. You look fully to him. And what does scripture say to those who look fully to him? What does it say? What is he telling them here? When we believe, it's counted to us as righteousness. It's like Abraham. He looked to God and he believed in his promises. He believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We can be like that. We can have that same kind of assurance that it will be counted to us as well. 
And so that's what Paul does. He's, he's pointing to Abraham to make this point with some great intentionality. And at least some of the Jews would have used Abraham a little bit differently, would have viewed Abraham a little bit differently. So we lived in Kentucky for a few years, and it's interesting, there's a few states that are around Kentucky that all lay claim to another Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Illinois, that's the land of Lincoln, if I'm getting it right. If someone's from Illinois and I'm wrong, just shout it out. Pretty sure that's right. Kentucky, when we were there, it was like, we're the birthplace of Lincoln. This is not just like, they put it on signs. They'll put it on bumper stickers, tags, you know, license plates. So we've got land of Lincoln up in Illinois. Kentucky, we have the, the birthplace of Lincoln. You can go see it. Indiana, that's Lincoln's boyhood home. All of them will say this, like Illinois, land of Lincoln. Kentucky, Lincoln's birthplace. And then Indiana, Lincoln's boyhood home. All want to lay claim to him and fit him into their story. And, and the Jews are like that. They are laying claim to Abraham, and they're going to fit him into their story. This is an example, Abraham, they would say, of righteousness before God. But what they would say about Abraham and his righteousness before God was a, an explanation of faith, sure, but it was also mixed with some things that we'd call works. They'd say that his righteousness was a mixture of, of, of what he believed, but also what he did. So these are actual quotes, and, and this was probably just something that was present at the time. This is from a Jewish priest. He says that Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. And, and what he's talking about is his well-pleasing in righteousness was the way he lived. Like he's, he's looking at his acts of obedience before the God, before God. There's another one. This is in 1 Maccabees. He says, was not Abraham found faithful in what? In testing? And it was reckoned to him for righteousness? Now this might read a little bit of Genesis chapter 22 where you have Abraham tested with Isaac, reading that into Genesis chapter 15 and kind of putting those together. And, and surely, as Paul thinks about Abraham, uses this example, he has some of these arguments in mind, and he drives home the contrast with those arguments in mind. And so listen to what he says back in Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you work, he says, you, you, you should rightly expect to collect on that work. What's due to you? What, what, what is, should be given to you? You could lay a claim to that payment. In, in a sense, you could say, you, you could boast. I have worked, now I get that. But verse 5, he says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He, he's contrasting something very carefully because there's no syncretism here between faith and works. There's a contrast between faith and works. You're justified by one, and you're not justified by another. Right? There's one that brings justification, one brings righteousness, and one doesn't. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It says that Abraham was justified by what? Faith. So it couldn't then be works, because it's one or the other. Genesis 15, then, is a perfect picture of what Paul is talking about. The one is justified, chapter 3, verse 28, by faith apart from works of the law. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, he comes and he's questioning God. He lacks offspring. Sarah, his wife, barren. Both of them together, old. Like they, the children, the offspring that God brought, like they are not within your power to do. Like you, that's been tried. It hasn't worked. Right? It, it hasn't worked. 
There's no way for, for Abraham to accomplish the promises that God give, had given him in chapter 12 of Genesis. No way. You, you can't do this, Abraham. There's this impossibility that's in front of him of accomplishing these promises that God given him. And so what does God do? He takes him outside and he shows him the stars. And it's in that place where righteousness is counted to him. Not in doing anything, but in looking to the Lord. He's receiving, not doing. He's receiving in Genesis chapter 15. But verse 5, the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that's Abraham. And to Abraham, who did not work, but believed in him who justified the ungodly, like his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so when we look to Abraham, we can, we can know that he isn't a perfectly righteous hero, because what does Paul include about him in verse 5? He uses this word, ungodly. Ungodly. So Abraham is no perfectly righteous hero. He is one who is ungodly. But what happens to this one who is ungodly when he looks to God? It is counted to him as righteousness. Notice the differences between verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4, one works and one gets his due. In verse 5, one gets what's not due. The ungodly are due not righteousness from God, not salvation from God. That's not their due. But they get their faith counted as righteousness. It's, it's chapter 3, verse 24. They're justified by grace as a gift. That's what's going on in verse 5. It's not his due. It's, just, it's a gift. And I think Paul intends to contrast works and and. And faith, which is counted as righteousness. How? Not by working, but by believing. The ungodly, then, are the only ones who are ever justified. Which gives a lot of sinners great hope. That it's the ungodly, verse 5, that are justified before God. They can have faith that is counted as righteousness. And it's only ever the ungodly who are justified. It's not by working. It's by receiving and Paul goes on to say, hey, this is true of David too. Look in verse 6. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Amen. So he quotes Psalm 32. And, and I like what one commentator said when he said, and the blessed man is not the man who has good works laid to his account, but whose sins are not laid to his account. Blessed is the one, not who is righteous by his works, it's not what he says, but whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sins are not counted before the Lord. Blessed is the one, not who is rewarded for his works, blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not count his sins. So in other words, Paul is reminding us, one does not work their way in to this righteousness. It is counted to them. They receive it. One is counted righteous by the gracious gift of God through faith. And so man, Paul, he's, he's used some heavy hitters here, hasn't he? You, look at, you want to look at Abraham? Let's look at Abraham. 
What about David? You want to look at David? At least we're a little bit more honest with him. Like we know he's sinful. We can't hide that. But what does he say the blessed man is? And he throws those at him all to say one, say that what? We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Genesis 15, Psalm 32, all of them are furthering the argument that justification is by faith, not by works. And so verses 1 through 8 of of chapter 4, Paul has explained chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. What what do we say? What about our boasting? It's excluded because we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then he's going to go into verse 9 through 12 of chapter 4, and he's going to explain kind of the end of of chapter 3. All right, chapter 3, the the question then is, if all works are excluded and we have no boast before God, then is God the Jews, God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He's going to justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And what Paul is going to do in verses 9 through 12 is he's going to start to explain that further. And he starts with this pivotal question in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? The the tremendous blessing of of your lawless deeds being forgiven, of your sins covered, of the Lord not counting your sins against you, the the best blessing in all the earth. Who is that for? Who is included in that blessing is a vital question, a crucial question. And and the Jews here, Psalm 32, written by a Jew, one of their heroes, and they're thinking that blessing is for the Jews, for those who are circumcised. And the clear suggestion from Paul in reference to Abraham here, right, because he's talking about Abraham and then he throws in this quote from from David. The reference from Paul here is to say that that blessing is for the one who is like Abraham. And what is Abraham? A man of faith. So circumcision doesn't then seem to be consequential, necessary, required to receiving the blessing that David spoke of in Psalm 32. In other words, we could say it this way, that justification, for justification, circumcision isn't required. And and here's what he goes on to say. Verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So he he then comes and he says, all right, I'm going to make a chronological argument here for you. And I'm going to say, like, when did this justification for Abraham happen? If we're going to talk about circumcision, which we should, then let's talk about the chronology of Abraham's justification. And it's a really awesome argument. It's almost like that this gospel was promised beforehand. Like Paul said in chapter 1, verse 2, like, hey, we're going to talk to you about the gospel of God. It was promised beforehand, before creation. It's almost like this gospel had been witnessed to by the apostles and the prophets, or by by the writers and the prophets, Uh, As Paul said in chapter 3, verse 21, it's witnessed to by the law and the prophets. It's almost like that's real. And Paul looks back and he says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15. And he wasn't circumcised until Genesis chapter 17, 14 so years later. And there's just a simple genius in this, in Paul's argument. And in God's perfect, eternal plan in that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. If Abraham was justified before circumcision, then circumcision couldn't possibly be essential to justification. If he was justified, if he was found righteous before God, before he was circumcised, then again, circumcision couldn't possibly be required for righteousness. 
Now, we do need to say that circumcision was required for Abraham, but that didn't come until Genesis chapter 17. And it wasn't required then. He was already counted righteous before God. It wasn't required for righteousness. He was already counted that in Genesis chapter 15. And so what do we say about this circumcision? Well, Paul says, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Paul is interpreting Abraham's receiving of circumcision, and he says of it, it's a seal of the righteousness that he already had. His, his circumcision was an expression of the righteous standing that he had before God. It was an expression of his faith. It was a walking out of his faith before God. It didn't put Abraham in right relationship to God. Genesis 15 already covered that. It was an expression of his faith before God when he does what God says. As one who trusts God, he, he does what those who trust God do. And he obeys him. That's what Genesis chapter 17 and circumcision is. All who believe then are going to follow in the footsteps of Abraham. It didn't put him in right relationship. And so then the question then is, well, then why this sign and seal? And it's a pretty good question again, right? It's an interesting sign. It's an interesting seal of righteousness. Why, if God had counted Abraham righteousness, is that of all things required? And while I'm not going to give you every answer, because Paul doesn't, Paul does give a few answers. I love it when he, he gives us explicitly the purpose. And that's what he does. Verse 11, the purpose. You gotta love that. Thanks, Paul. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So he's gonna give us two purposes. There's one of them. That it was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. All who believe, whether they're circumcised or not, counted righteous, have the righteousness that Abraham had. If you lack circumcision, Paul is saying that's no barrier to saving righteousness before God. No circumcision, you could still have right standing before God. It's no barrier to you before the Lord. Abraham received righteousness before he was circumcised to make him the father of all who believe. That's the first purpose. And then the second purpose is in verse 12, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham is rightly claimed as the, the father of the circumcised. He himself received circumcision, and so he's the father of the, the circumcised. And, and God says he received circumcision to make him the father of the people of circumcision. He was a father of a specific people too. Right? He was to be a blessing to all the nations and a father to a specific people. But Paul qualifies this, doesn't he? Again, maybe his main target here is, is the Jews and their arguments about Abraham and their arguments against his idea of the justification by faith alone. And he qualifies. He says, verse 12, he was the father of the circumcised, but they're not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Our circumcision then isn't the determining factor, is it? It couldn't be. Paul wouldn't be able to write that if circumcision was the determining factor in your right standing before God. Faith is the determining factor. That's what he's getting at. Faith is. It's this faith, and it's the same faith that Paul had, or that Abraham had before he was even circumcised. So the true Jew, the, the, the true circumcised, 
are not those who merely descend from Abraham physically, who are not merely those who are outwardly and physically circumcised. The, the true Jew, the true circumcised are those who have faith in the same God that Abraham had faith in. Now, I grew up on a farm, and when you look out in pastures, when you have cows, we had cows, you, you can see, like, all right, there's lots of room to roam, but there's also always in pastures certain cow paths, right? They kind of zigzag and just go wherever through the middle of a pasture. If you're not from Oklahoma, like, sorry, but just look around in a pasture around here. You can see a long ways, and you're going to see a, a cow path at some point. Sometimes they go to water, different places, and there's these cow paths that are commonly walked on, all right? And it's interesting that the, the, these cattle will follow these common trails, though they're, they're kind of unrestricted in the pasture, right? You could go anywhere. You can get to the water anyway, but they, they seem to follow these, you know, cow paths. Now, same herd, same brand on their hip, right? But not all of them use that path, right? They, they can go lots of different ways. They're unrestricted. And to be the son of Abraham is similar, right? It, it's not just to have, be part of the same herd. I'm physically descended from Abraham. Not just to have the sign and seal of circumcision. I have the same brand. You, you have to actually follow in that same path. Like the, the well-worn path that Abraham trod, you're, you're in the same path, not just getting into the end in, the, in a different way, but I'm getting to the same end. You, you are going on the same path. It's not just to be, a son of Abraham is not just to have circumcision physically. It's not just to be physically descended from Abraham. Paul says it's to physically, it's to walk the same path that Abraham walked. And his path was walked by faith. His steps were steps of faith to God. He had steps of faith to God as one who was uncircumcised, and he has steps of faith to God as one who was circumcised. And so what does that mean then for Abraham? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, 7, that makes Abraham the father of those who are faith. Those who have faith, those are the true sons of Abraham. So what, what's our path? What do our steps look like? What our path is, what our steps look like, is going to demonstrate whether we're the son of Abraham or not. So chapters four, chapter 4 of Romans, verses 1 through 12, gives us these three conclusions that Paul has been building all along. You're justified by faith alone. It's always been faith, so faith alone, faith always, and faith all over. It's faith alone that justifies. He belabors the point because he needs them to know this foundation before he goes anywhere else, that you know that you can't boast anything before God, that it's only by your faith. There's no work that can get you in right standing before God. Even the great works of following the law, of being circumcised, of being descendants of Abraham, of growing up in a church, you can name your thing, whatever you think you can work your way into righteousness, whatever that thing is, he says you cannot be justified that way. Amen. This Work couldn't earn salvation, and we could throw faith in there and say our faith hasn't earned us salvation. It's the instrument, right? It puts us in right relationship to right standing, right? God gives righteousness, and he does it through this instrument of us responding by faith, right? It's counted to us as righteousness, so faith alone. And faith alone has always been the way to righteousness. Faith alone, faith always. Like, no one has ever received righteousness from God apart from faith. Hasn't happened. Can't find it in the Bible. Right? In fact, Paul goes all the way back to the beginning and says, that guy that you might say was justified by his works, nope, it was by his faith. Right? It was always that way. No one has ever saved any other way. So how are people in the Old Testament saved? Not by works of the law, not by sacrifices, 
Not by circumcision. You could name anything. If you say anything other than faith, then you would be wrong, right? They're justified by faith alone. That's always been the way that God has saved. And so that means that those of faith are the one people of God. Right? Think about that. It's faith alone. You can't do it. And it's faith always. So you're in a line of people that couldn't do it that stretches all the way back to the beginning of the creation of man. Those of faith are the one people of God. Those before Christ came are those who looked forward to the promises of God. Said, oh, God is going to do these things. These things are pointing forward. They're bearing witness to what's to come. And we, on the other side of the cross, we look backward to what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, and we believe in that. So it's looking forward faith or looking backward faith, but all saved by faith alone, and it's always been that way. And then I say that the third conclusion is that it's faith all over. That is to say that saving righteousness was always intended by God for all people over all of the earth. It was a faith that was, that was for all. Right, remember how Abraham, in Genesis 12, one of the blessings that God promised to him, one of the things he gave him was that you were going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. All the nations are going to be blessed through you. Not just one people, although one people was specific and important to God and to Abraham, he says you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Like The, the gospel is a gospel that is to be spread to all peoples, all tongues, all tribes, all nations, because that's who it's always been intended for by God. He has always wanted that. All peoples to declare his name, for, for his fame to spread over the earth as the water covers the sea. That has always been the way God has saved, and he has always wanted it to be a faith that is all over the globe. And so, yeah, it's, it's faith alone. We can't do it, but, but we can get in on it through faith in Jesus, and we're in a line of those who couldn't do it but have had faith in God too. And it's for others who can't do it as well that are all over the face of the earth. And so we got to get that gospel out as it was intended. So Father Abraham, he, he had many sons. We can revisit this now. That may not need to be a song that we sing at all. I'll just put that out there. If you really want to sing it, I guess let's just say, let's not sing it haphazardly. Let's think about it. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? How can we confirm that I'm one of them and so are you? How could we do that? Paul says if we have faith, we can say we're a son of Abraham. We're a part of, grasp this, we're part of what God started in Genesis. We're continuing the line. We're part of the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We are part of that fulfillment if we're a son of Abraham. And it's not because we did something, it's because we received something. Not because we've done enough things, but because we've looked fully to the one who counts our faith to us as righteousness. It's because we look to Jesus. Church, what we do is we need to remember that. That we are part of the fulfillment of what God promised in Genesis chapter 12. We can be called sons of Abraham because of what Jesus has done. What has he done? His body was broken. His blood was poured out so that our sins wouldn't be counted against us, so that we could have saving righteousness from God the Father, so that God the Father could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If that is you, if you have faith, any strength, any intensity, any purity of faith, if you have faith in that Christ, 
We have a meal for you to take, a, a meal of, of bread and the cup where we remember what Jesus has done to gain us that saving righteousness. If you're not a believer, if you haven't had faith, we, we invite you to simply just believe. Don't look to yourself, look only to God. Forget all about yourself and look to God. If you don't know what that means, find another believer. Ask them, what does it mean to forget about myself so that I might get in on this saving righteousness too? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you don't count our works against us. Thank you that the only works that count are yours. And that the product of that is imputed to us through faith. God, we know this truth. We've We've heard it a lot recently. Paul just emphasizes and reemphasizes. And there has to be a reason for that. He, he knows our weakness. He knows our inclination to think that our righteousness can come from something else, particularly our works. God, I just pray that this truth, that that is not the case. I pray that the truth of salvation by grace through faith alone would be driven deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts as we march through this amazing book that you've given us. God, where we are prone to wander, where our faith is weak, we pray that you shore it up. Lord, where there may be those in this, even in this group this morning who, who don't have faith, I pray that it would come alive through the knowledge of Christ and what he's done. God, help us where we don't understand. Strengthen us even more where we do. Father, help us to be humbled by this truth. It's so encouraging to know and to be reminded that this is a really, really long line and that it extends all over this earth and the line is growing. And we are grateful, Father, that you've called us to participate in your plan. Help us to be more faithful, God to declare this truth, that you have done it, that you have provided all that we need, that you have done the work, and that we need only believe. Lord, be honored by this meal, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.